This morning, as I was just uh, spending some private time with the Lord, I was reminded of that passage in Matthew chapter 17, where a few of the disciples and Jesus and some other guests showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. I was reminded of Peter's words when he said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And uh, I think that's the right thing to say again this morning. It's good for us to be here. Thank you for giving yourself to God in worship. Thank you for taking this time right now to present your heart before him so that he can sow some fresh seed into all of our hearts. Remember we, uh, a month or so ago, uh, we were, I was sharing with you a series on how does your garden grow? And remember we planted some seeds the one day? Uh, I'm happy to report that they're doing very well. Uh, we'll bring it into you here shortly and kind of remind you of uh, uh, God's faithfulness. Amen? Remember what he said? He said, one man plants another man's water, but it's God who makes things grow. And uh, that's good. So we're engaged in a series. You see a, a slide here called A Home for Your Heart. We've been looking at how vitally important it is that, yes, we have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, we are uh, flowing with the things the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. But it's vitally important that you and I cultivate a meaningful relationship with our Father in heaven because that particular uh, aspect of our relationship with God uh, deals with some things that we all need uh, dealt with in our lives. The work that God did in sending his son to live and die for us was his way of trying to get his kids back under his roof and more importantly, into his presence again. It is often said that the reason Christ came was to save us from, from our sins. And yes, that is true. Others have said the reason Christ came is to destroy the works of the evil one. And yes, that is true. Uh, but I submit to you this morning that the ultimate reason Christ came was to bring us back into relationship with the Father in heaven. It is the ultimate reason that explains the meaning of history and God's heart for the world. Remember what the, the most famous verse in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his one and only son. That is the Father's heart that he would find himself back in relationship with his children, with the world God's heart is simply not to acquit us as criminals. That's not his ultimate goal, is to be able to simply say, okay, you're forgiven, you're acquitted. His goal or his heart is that we would find ourselves in a meaningful relationship with him. So last week, we talked about how we have these insecurities in our lives that we wrestle with, that we deal with, and the only way to really resolve those matters is to find ourselves back home in relationship with the Father. I want to I I uh, kind of build on what I shared with you last week. Uh, for those of you who didn't hear that, you may want to 
take a moment. You can find it online and go back and kind of listen to it. But if I were to take all of the things I touched on last week and put one, one title to it, one word to it, uh, I would bundle up all of those insecurities and use a word that we find in the Bible, and it's the word orphan. Orphan. The legal definition, let me read it to you, in the United States, for an orphan is a child who has lost both parents because of death, disappearance, abandonment, or desertion leading to separation. That is the legal, technical definition of, uh, in our country, what it means to be an orphan. But I just want to say to us this morning, the Bible looks at it a little bit differently. And in order for me to kind of uh, uh, unpack that for you, we've got to look at a couple verses here in Scripture. And I want to read to you from the book of Lamentations, which doesn't get a lot of uh, uh, press or pub uh, in, in sermons. It's kind of a little bit of a depressing book, so we typically don't go there uh, for things to inspire and encourage people. But in the book of Lamentations, we have a series of writings, a series of poems written by a variety of authors. Uh, <clears throat> And the, the point of that, the, that book is to hear the heart of Israel, people in Israel, who were lamenting the fact that their city, while they were in captivity in Babylon, their city, Jerusalem, had been destroyed, utterly obliterated, right? And so they're, they're kind of uh, commiserating over their situation and I want to read to you to get a better understanding of how the Bible looks at this idea of orphan. I want to read to you from Lamentations chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. We read there, Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans and fatherless, our mothers like widows. Now remember, I said to you, by, by our American or United States definition of an orphan is someone who has lost both their mother and father through either death or desertion or abandonment or whatever. So they've lost any sense of parental relationship. Now, but when we look at this verse here, it, it, it indicates that they saw themselves as orphans because they were fatherless. Actually, it goes on to say, our mothers are like widows, right? So there, there was still a mother in the picture, but there was no, they saw themselves as having no father, and then and they labeled themselves as orphans because they were fatherless. Now we see that same idea or biblical understanding carried over into the New Testament where we read in James's letter he says he implores believers Christians not to forget about the orphans and widows in their distress. So this, uh, 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 this idea of orphan in the Bible isn't, isn't a child 
that is without a mother or father. It's primarily an orphan is somebody who is fatherless. They may still have a mom, but they don't have a father. In, the, in both of these contexts, we see them uh, defining orphan or understanding orphan as a, as a person who is not in a meaningful relationship with the father. Now, many have suggested, uh, books have been written, articles also uh, put together, that many of the ills of our society, and for that matter of cultures around the world, are due to people living out of an orphan spirit or out of an orphan heart. Like, like people are, are not, um, I don't know, at rest in their souls, right? And by using the word orphan in this way, uh, it means that people are living out of a sense of abandonment, out of a sense of alienation, out of a sense of isolation or confusion. We see, I think, every day as we, we kind of watch what's unfolding before us, people going about their lives not truly understanding who they are. And I don't remember whether it was Pastor Josh or whether it was Pastor Chris who was here a month or so ago as a guest speaker, but somebody somewhere I heard recently someone say, because people don't know whose they are, they don't know who they are. Because they don't know whose they are, they don't know who they are. Now, <clears throat> I many years ago, 40, it'll be 42 uh, years ago in just a few weeks, I married a young lady that did not know um, her father growing up. And I did not realize the, the part of her heart that was not whole because of all of that. You know, you don't, when you're teens and early 20s and whatnot, you're not sitting around talking about all this stuff. You know, well, I, you don't know who your father is. Well, let's talk about that. You know, you don't do that, you know, you, you just do life and you don't have those discussions. But shortly into our marriage, I realized that that was, that was an open wound. That was something that caused uh, her to have to labor with some things, right? And, and, and part of that was the fact that she didn't know her, who, she knew who her father was biologically, but she didn't know relationally who her father was. And it left an imprint. That whole thing left uh, uh, something there in her soul that has taken years to bring about the necessary healing for her to feel whole, Right? And part of that, part of that healing, a large part of that healing, wasn't just coming to discover who her earthly father was. 
A large part of that healing was coming to discover that even though she didn't have her earthly father growing up, her heavenly father was there for her, even when she didn't realize it. An orphan heart, an orphan heart or an orphan spirit at work in us will cause people to believe that because they have no one to care for them, they have to care for themselves. They have to do it on their own. And an orphan heart will end up leading people to display their insecurities in all manner of ways. I was starting to write down a list. Boy, I hope I brought this. Uh Uh-oh, I am in trouble. I am in serious trouble. How could I have forgotten to do that? No, I got it right here. I just spotted it. Boom. All right. So so anyways, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, all right, how are all of these things like, like fleshed out in people's lives. Like, like how does this orphan heart get um, demonstrated or, 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 or experienced by people? And I'm writing, I'm writing some things down that I just felt like, you know, were coming to my mind. And then I realized as I'm writing down this list of how people go about trying to find some security in life and and, and, and live their lives in such a way, but they're doing it out of this orphan heart. As I'm writing down this list, I'm thinking, the more I'm writing down, I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's a passage in Scripture that says these very things, but I never connected it to what I'm talking to you about. I always connected it to, Paul had a list in Galatians of ways that our sinful nature gets exhibited, Right? And then I realized that that same list is how people who are trying to find themselves or figure out how they are, they end up exhibiting the same thing. Let me just read it to you. I'm reading it to you out of the message translation. This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. It says, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to do things your own way. This is what Paul says. He says, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. I think people try to end up, uh, you know, out of their insecurities and in an effort to help uh, find some identity and some, people offer their bodies. If I, I don't know. Okay, so, all right. Okay, then he goes on to say, a sinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Friendies, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once. A brutal temper, an impotent to love or be loved, 
divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious, ha vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. And Paul says, I could go on. And I thought, doesn't, you know, putting it in the context I'm talking about it here, doesn't that describe our fatherless culture? Doesn't that nail it? Like this is how people, this is how we sometimes are trying to find ourselves and find purpose and meaning in our life is through all these ways where we're trying to do it on our own rather than come home and be with the Father. We're trying to do it on our own. Now, <clears throat> I say all that, but I want to spend the rest of our time that we have here this morning, while all of that is true, that's looking at this thing from the glass half empty. That's looking at this situation that we have in kind of the, from the negative perspective. But I've got some really, really good news for you. There is another word in Scripture that is the antidote for the orphan problem. It is the word adoption. Adoption. None of us have to live out of an orphan heart. None of us have to have our lives dictated by an orphan spirit that we have picked up. None of us have to live with a sense of abandonment, alienation, isolation, or confusion. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus offers more to us than just forgiveness of sins. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. In that short verse, he is identifying a problem that we have. He understands that we are not where we need to be in terms of our relationship with the Father. His Father. I've been saying to you all along, the amazing thing about Jesus was, even though he left the glories and splendors of heaven and came to earth, he never fell out of relationship with the Father. While he was here on earth, he kept constantly saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. He was in constant communication and relationship with the Father. He never moved out of his insecurities. He never did life. He never acted out any of the things I just read to you because he was at home with the Father even though he was here on planet Earth. Adoption. When we come to Christ... God not only forgives us, he adopts us. In Christ, we go from condemned orphans with no hope to adopted children with no fear. We find ourselves, all of us in this room, everyone out there, we all find ourselves in the same place. 
We all are standing before God guilty of rebellion and sin. Because of his justice, God cannot dismiss our sin. But because of his love for us, he cannot dismiss us. He can his justice, his holiness, his his that part of who God is. I mean, he's all that, but that seeing God from that angle, he cannot simply wink at sin. He can't go, no problem. It's a problem. And so he says, we've got to. We've got to resolve this. And in an act that stunned the heavens, you can read about it in your Bible, in an act that stunned the heavens, God says, I will punish myself for your sins. And in that act of Christ going to the cross, God's justice was satisfied. And because his justice It's been satisfied. You and I can embrace what Christ has done and find forgiveness for our sins. But listen, listen, that's not where the story ends. Sadly, so much of Christianity, that's where the story ends. We get people forgiven, but then we forget to tell them, wait a minute, it doesn't stop there. God doesn't just acquit you. He brings you home to live with him. I want you to listen. I've got two passages. I think they're on the screen for you. The first one is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes and he says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We're not just forgiven. We've been brought home. Listen to how he says it when he writes to the Galatians. He says essentially the same thing in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, not under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. It would be enough. Listen. It would be enough if God just washed our slate clean. That would be enough. It would be enough if you and I were just set free. But God does more than that. He takes us home. Like an old stray dog. He takes us home. God sought us, God found us, he signed the papers, and he took us home. Adoptive parents, do we have any adoptive parents in the building? Ken and Faye, are you here? Can you raise your hand? Any adoptive parents? Uh, There they are, Robin, Marcella. Back here, Mike, you back there? You got your hand up? Who else? All right. Adoptive parents, 
that are here this morning probably have a better understanding than the rest of us in this room what it means to adopt children, right? That just stands to reason, right? Now, how many of you here are adopted? Okay, a few more hands. Probably better than any of the rest of us in this room, those people who've been adopted understand what it means to be adopted. The rest of us are at a deficit because we either haven't been adopted parents or we're not been adopted. So when we read adopted, we go like, yeah, whatever. We just go, yeah, whatever. That's a nice word. I'm glad some people understand that. Most of us have a hard time grabbing hold of this notion, this biblical idea. Biological parents know the desire. I remember when my wife and I started talking about wanting children. We know that desire. But to be honest, most of our cribs in here were filled quite easily. I didn't consider it work at all. There was not one moment of work involved. I have, I have heard of people having children that were not planned. They're, they're called unplanned pregnancies. But I have never, ever heard of an unplanned adoption. Well, we're having an unplanned adoption. <laughs> That's not how it works. Adoptive parents know the emptiness of heart of not having children. Adoptive parents know what it's like to set out on a mission and take responsibility for a child with a broken past and an unsure future. I've met a number of adoptive parents over the years, and I know from talking to those that Jody and I have known, there is a yearning in their souls, a yearning in their heart to have children or to uh, take a child in and be a blessing to that child. So I ask you this morning, why would God want to adopt us? Let me read to you, because it's really clear in the Bible why he would want to do such a thing. Paul writes in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own to what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes. That has to do with the justice thing I was talking about a moment ago without a single fault. We, we, we who stand before him covered with his love. His unchanging plan 
has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for, the, for us. And he did this because he wanted to. Somebody say amen. He did this because he wanted to. He had an insatiable desire to have children that he could call his own. It's not about our good looks. <laughs> That's right. That was the most appropriate moment to say that right there. It's not about our good looks. It's not about all the money you got and profound wisdom you have. He adopts all of us, knowing that we have nothing really to contribute but a broken past and a lot of imperfection moving forward. <laughs> he has adopted us because he wanted to. Because that's what was in his heart. Adoption is not something we earn. It's a gift that we receive. I want to write, read to you again, in case you didn't pick up on it, the passage out of Romans 8 and Galatians 4. Listen to how Paul says it. And listen, just listen. Don't try to find it in your Bible right now. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption whereby we're crying out as sons and daughters, Abba, Father. Listen to how it says it in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Adoption is not something we earn. It's a gift that we receive. Adoption agencies don't train children to recruit parents. They seek parents to adopt children. It is the parents who have to make the call, fill out the papers, have the interviews, pay the fee, and wait the waits. If prospective parents, if this was about you and I earning it, or if prospective parents would say to the adoption agency, hey, listen, we're interested in Johnny, but we have a few questions to ask. Does Johnny have a house to live in? Does Johnny have enough money for his college tuition? Does he own a car so that he's able to drive himself back and forth from school? Can he cook his own meals? I mean, if prospective parents went to adoption agency and started asking all of those questions before they decided to adopt Johnny, the agency would say, I'm sorry, you are not fit parents to adopt this child. I remember a number of years ago, you know, it's, it's gotten so crazy even trying to adopt an animal. Are you aware of that? 
And I remember a number of years ago, our daughter and her husband were looking to adopt, uh, what do they call it? They, uh, uh, that's it, rescue, rescue dog. And uh, they had to fill out a form. And then one of the questions that was asked in the form is, uh, it went along the lines of, uh, do you, will the dog be in a pen or your house or on a, on a, what do they call those things, leads, like on a runner? And they, they said, the dog will be on a runner. Denied. Denied. No good. You're out. It's people came asking these questions about adopting a child. They would say, sorry, you're not the parent that we're looking for. It is vitally important that you and I understand this adoption is not something we earn. It is something we receive. It is a gift that God so desires to give each and every one of us. Our Heavenly Father understands what He's getting involved in. He knows what He's signed up for. The first week I started sharing with you, I talked to you about the story of the prodigal son. And in that story, we see a picture of a father who runs to greet this young son that had gone off to do his own thing. A, a father running to greet this younger son who is broken and confused. A little later on in the story, we see a father who finds out that his older son is ticked off about what treatment the younger, his brother, was getting, pouting about it. It tells us that the father sought out that son. He went to the son. The son didn't come to him. He went to the son. Jesus continues to paint this picture of a father who is desperate to be in relationship with you and I, that he runs to us. He comes to us looking to have us back in relationship once again. Both of them, both the younger son and the older son, receive mercy and grace from the father. So I say to us this morning, when, when, when stuff in life has hurt you, or, or maybe you have been, become disappointed in yourself, go to the Father. Let Him run to you. Let, uh, let's take the advice of the Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, where he said, let's walk right up to him, meaning the Father. Let's walk right up to him and gut what he is so ready to give us, mercy and help. On this 4th of July weekend, we are reminded once again of the freedoms 
that we have and enjoy in the United States of America. Freedoms that were set in place and are sustained through the sacrifices that people make. One such freedom that you and I, living in this country, have been blessed with, we are actually participating in right this very minute. Under the First Amendment, we have been given the freedom to exercise religion. That's what we're doing right now. We're, 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 we're enjoying, we are participating in one of the freedoms our Constitution has blessed us with. While I am very thankful for this freedom that allows us to, uh, to experience the gospel together, I am also abundantly aware that you can be exercising that freedom and be doing it with an orphan heart. I said to you, I think last week, I said to you, remember the older son, the older son never left home. He was in the father's house, but he still had an orphan heart. You can be exercising the religious freedoms our nation has granted us, but you can be doing it not in a meaningful relationship with your Father in heaven. This morning, I simply wanted to remind you that real true freedom comes when we are in a healthy, meaningful relationship with the one who has not only saved us, but adopted us. He has given us a home for our hearts. Our Father who is in heaven. The question we have to ask ourselves is, was the younger son really free when he was away from the father? It may have seemed like that, but his freedom, his perceived freedom, actually led him into bondage. He wasn't free. But I also ask you, was the son that stayed at home free. No. He was in bondage to his misunderstanding of his relationship with the Father. This morning, we are free from having to do life on our own. God has offered us freedom from a sense of abandonment, alienation, isolation, and confusion. He offers us freedom from that. We don't have to go through our lives, oh, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, he offers us freedom. Freedom from the insecurities that lead us to do things that are not good for us or good for others. The Father wants us to know this true freedom while we find ourselves living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Just because you live in the land of the free and the home of the brave does not mean you are free. 
We can only know freedom as God has meant us to know it when we see ourselves at home with our Father. I suggest to you this morning that that son who left home, went away, thought in doing his own thing he was going to find what he was looking for, he came to a sad conclusion that that wasn't the answer. I want to suggest to you the only way, the, 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 the timing when this son found true freedom is when he came home from the, and, and, and saw the father running to meet him and brought him home and threw a party. I'm going to tell you that son in that moment began to know what true freedom really was. And the father has the same plans for you and I. He wants us home with him so that we might know the freedom that our hearts, all of our hearts, truly long for. Would you stand as we pray in closing this morning? I realize as I say these things that I'm touching on, on places that we don't like to go a lot of times. We like to keep things, we like to keep it safe and close to the vest. But I just want to say to anyone here again this morning, knowing the struggles that I've gone through, knowing the struggles that my wife has gone through, knowing the struggles of countless, countless, countless people that we've had the privilege of spending time with over the years, if you are here this morning and you battle with uh, things that uh, just aren't uh, good for you or good for others. If you are here and, and purpose is evasive to you, meaning in life is evasive to you, I, I say to you this morning, come home. Come home to the Father. Begin to find yourself in His embrace. You know, I was looking at a, I was looking at a picture this week and the picture was of, it was trying to portray what it might have looked like when the, when the prodigal son came home to the father, what that scene might have looked like. And the picture that many people have painted is from the, from the perspective of you're seeing the backside of the son, but you're seeing the face of the father. And there's tears strolling down the father's face. And in that moment, when you look at that picture, it's really not about the son. It's about the father. And I, I can't get that picture out of my mind. Your father wants you really, really bad. wants to be able to have a relationship that's not all mucked up by our bad behavior or a heart that saw him as distant and cold. 
Lord, we are your children, warts and all. And I'm so thankful that it's not about our good looks. I'm so thankful it's not about that we've got some money that you need or uh, some other something that we have, Lord. You want us just for who we are. You know what you're signing up for, Lord. think of that passage in Revelations that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and he will eat with me and I will eat with him. Lord, we have nothing. We don't even have some decent leftovers to offer you. But you don't care. You just want to be with us. You have spent all of history lining up a scenario by which we could come back into your presence as mankind was in the very beginning. Lord, I pray each and every one of us in this room would take advantage of not just the forgiveness we can know in Jesus Christ, but the sense of meaning and purpose, of contentment and rest that we can know for our souls by carving out a relationship with our Heavenly Father. May that be the true freedom that we find in Jesus' name I pray, amen.